May I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I recently went to the new contemporary art exhibit at the Birmingham Museum of Art, the BMA, just a couple blocks away. Uh, It's called uh, Third Space, up there on the third floor. If you haven't been yet, uh, I I, uh, urge you to check it out. It's a great expansion of the modern and contemporary art um, that they already have on uh, exhibit. Ah. Um, But I was drawn while I was up there uh, in the back corner, as you enter on your right into the room, in the far back corner there's a a TV monitor with a man lip-syncing the lyrics uh, to a Johnny Cash cover of Nick Cave's 1988 song, Mercy Seat. So it's a man lip-syncing a cover of another song uh, by Nick uh, Cave called Mercy Seat. And that song repeats this chorus about 12 times. There are other lyrics in the song, but uh, I almost thought, is this some strange loop that I'm not catching the flicker? But really, it was, it's the repetition of the chorus over and over again, and it says this. And the mercy seat is waiting, and I think my head is burning, and in a way I'm yearning to be done with all this measuring of proof, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And anyway, I told the truth, and I'm not afraid to die. Uh, And so this is a a clear uh, sort of uh, reference to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, and also connecting it with Jesus Christ as the mercy seat, ultimately. Uh, And also this idea that uh, he says, I'm I'm, I'm tired of of the measuring of the proof. And the reason he says that is it's a double entendre. The mercy seat here in this song is about a man who's awaiting uh, execution uh, by uh, 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 electricity. So it's the electric chair is the double entendre for the mercy seat. Uh, And so this will be a a pathway towards uh, relief. And finally, he says at the end, over and over again, remember, and I'm not afraid to die. Cave later wrote about this song, uh, or in an interview, he said, um, remember the song is in 1988, but later on he would say, before I was able to write things like, I'm not afraid to die, And kids would come up to me and say, hey, that line means so much to me. And I have to sort of say, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel as cocky about death as I used to. I wake up in mad panics about death approaching. And the thing I want to say today is that's that's too bad. That's painful. That's sad uh, to be that afraid of the death that is approaching uh, and the question I want to ask you today is, how do you feel about your own death? You know, it's evenly distributed. We're all going to die at some point. How, what do you make of it? And I want to talk to you about that through the lens of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 5. And people can often talk about Romans and get stuck in this sort of uh, systematic theology head trip, you know, that really is, is aimed at, at, at the thoughts but doesn't get at the root down into our hearts. But there's so much about Romans that is pastoral and comforting, actually, especially to those of us who are are dying, who are going to die. And the major topic toward the beginning of Paul's uh, letter to the Romans is justification, the theological doctrine of justification. And chapter 5 connects the doctrine of justification to our eternal well-being. And justification, if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
if you've never heard that word before, uh, is a doctrine about God's legal declaration of our righteousness, uh, making us right with him through Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, how can we stand before him uh, uh, legally? Uh, And it's his uh, declaration to us of righteousness that we are justified to stand in his sight or not. And Romans 5 uh, connects justification with ideas like peace, hope, the gift of the Holy Spirit, salvation, reconciliation with God, and ultimately rejoicing. You know, when I know this news, I can't help but to rejoice over it. And if you want a fuller uh, definition of justification, take a look at chapter 3. But in order to understand any of this, what I'm talking about here today, you have to come to grips with the idea that the God of love is also a God of wrath. That the God of love is also a God of wrath. And this is one of the hardest parts of my job as a pastor. Uh, Usually when talking to someone individually, one-on-one, either in a hospital room, uh, at a a coffee shop, or in my office, is, 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 is admitting to the idea that the God of love is also a God of wrath. And that's unpopular in the 21st century. It has been for several hundred years. Many in the church history have tried to clean up this aspect of God for him from Marcion, who tried to do away with the Old Testament and said that God is a different God than the God of Jesus Christ. All the way to Thomas Jefferson, did you know this, who wrote his own version of the Bible, cleaning up all these sort of unpopular parts of the Bible. And to modern Bible scholars to this day, who want to clean up those aspects as well and say this is something else entirely. And I want to say to you that that's fake news. It's fake news. You know, I mean, you have to under, you have to have that part of the story. It's doing you a disservice to, to clean up that part of God for him. And you can feel it. You know, even if you never read the Bible, even if you've never heard this story before, you can feel deep in your heart. Paul says this in Romans chapter two, that there's a judgment up ahead. You know, the the, 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 the pygmy tribes in Papua New Guinea know this, you know, that there's deep and seated in their hearts that there's something like a judgment up ahead. And the good news is that God has rescued us, not only from the fallen world, not only from the devil, not only from our own sinfulness and evil, not only from death, but God has rescued us ultimately and most importantly from his own wrath. God has rescued us from his own wrath. God intervenes via the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And he's been doing this all along, providing means for a rescue, mediation, and atonement. This is why it's so important to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know, I know that those are books of the Bible that seemed so laborious to get through. And at least once in your life, sit down patiently and read through those four books of the Bible I remember when I first started exploring Christianity in my early 20s, I said, I'm going to read the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Well, I got to about numbers and said, heck with this. You know, I mean, it seems so tedious because I didn't understand uh, what was going on there. But it's helpful to understand the sacrificial system that God provided for Israel as a type and shadow that points to Jesus Christ. Just take Moses' brother Aaron, for example, the great high priest of uh, early Israel. And the job of the priest was to intercede, to mediate, 
to atone for the community. And they had to do it over and over again. There's this instance in, in Numbers where there's an uprising against Moses and Aaron. And Moses tells uh, Aaron to take some uh, coals and light his incense censer and take it out into the assembly, even those who, who are evil. And, uh, and, and we're told, behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. The priest's job was to stand between. The dead, was on this, the dead were on this side and the living were on this side because of the offering that he provided. God's judgment in these Old Testament passages like this help us see that God is not simply a sort of benign and passive deity. The first mover who's up there in the stars and is just you know, hey, whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you carry on, that actually he, he, he is involved in the world and does something, provides justice for things like sin and evil, wrongdoing. Uh, he, he must do something about it. And Romans chapter 5 even goes as far to say that we, all of us, me and you, are the ungodly. We are enemies of God and deserving of this wrath without his mediation. But now, but now, we have access to God's grace through the one true fragrant offering. So why am I telling you all of this? So, you know, like I said, I feel like this, this is the, the, one of the hardest parts of my job is to fess up to this aspect of God. Remember that I want us to think about our lives ahead knowing that ultimately we will die. I want us to think about our lives ahead between now and when we will die. I've just started watching, or I finished the first season of The Crown. Have you seen this on Netflix? It's about uh, the royal family in in, in England, uh, Queen Elizabeth's life uh, from the 1940s until now. There's this great scene where she's arguing with her sister, uh, Princess Margaret, because she wants to marry this man. uh, And the queen says that she may not, because he was previously divorced. Uh, And Princess Margaret says to her sister, the queen, I'm just asking for a future I can bear. I'm just asking for a future I can bear. You know, just think of Nick Cave in that quote I read to you from the interview, sitting at the edge of his bed in the middle of of the night and having an unbearable future because he's afraid of his own death. And perhaps you do too. You know, perhaps you looking ahead to the future of your life, it's, it's unbearable. But Christians should have none of that at the end of the day if they trust in Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of assurance. To use Nick Cave's words, we can be cocky about our justification. Uh, just let me read the first two verses of Romans chapter 5 to you again uh, in light of all that I've said. Since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have been we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Several years ago I was uh, doing pastoral ministry with two people who were simultaneously dying. one of them was a, a, a man, and he uh, had home hospice, so I was going to his home. I'd never met him before, uh, but he asked for a minister to come see him. And he was, uh, he was afraid that he was going to hell because he could not mentally assent to the doctrines of the Nicene Creed. 
And I said to him, you have no time for that. (laughs) Believe in Jesus Christ (laughs) uh, and the propitiation for your sins in him. You know, and he asked for me to come back. He wanted to see this young pastor who would actually talk to him about Jesus Christ. Day by day, I would come to him for several weeks. And yet, and yet he could not. He could not accept some of the things said in the nice, seen, stinking creed because of what some modernist pastor had told him in the past about some mental head trip. Uh, And here was a man on his deathbed who was not reassured. And I'm afraid to tell you that I even, I tried so hard. I tried so hard. And even with all that I tried to say pastorally and with gentleness, uh, this doctrine of justification, he, he did not accept it. And he died an unassured man. Meanwhile, there was another lady who I was visiting with who was in her 90s uh, in the hospital, and she had dementia, though it hadn't set in real hard, so she was mostly lucid. Uh, She was a black woman who grew up in rural South Carolina, who made her way to the Ivy League in, in, in the Northeast against all odds, and was a teacher all her life, never had children because she devoted her entire life uh, into her career. And I noticed when we were talking that she kept repeating the word adequacy, that she was not adequate enough. And this was a woman who had had so much success against all odds. And I asked, where is that coming from, this idea of adequacy? And she's told me something about her parents, her father, who gave her this this notion that she was not adequate 90 stinking years ago. It had been haunting her her whole life. And I took her hands, and I looked in her eyes, and I said, you are adequate, not because of anything you've done or not done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and offered to you. Do you accept that good news? And she said, yes, just unleashed, bawling. You know, the chains are gone, set free. And here was a woman who died assured. Well, how does this relate to all of you? How does this relate to you? Have you thrown yourself at the mercy seat, the throne of grace? Are you unafraid to die because you know that Jesus Christ's cross is for you? Do you have peace with God and hope you'll be in his future glory? Or have you simply mentally accepted all that I'm talking about as simply theological head trips and all that alone, and yet you continue to live as if your justification depends on you and you meriting it? Remember what Nick Cave said, I'm tired of measuring all the proof. You know, I await the mercy seat. Accept God's grace and his mercy. You know, is all that I'm saying to you perhaps maybe even foreign? This is the first time anybody's talked to you about the idea of justification. Maybe not till today you knew that you could be reassured and have hope for eternal well-being. And it has nothing to do with how well you live your life or not. The 39 Articles of Religion, which is a cornerstone statement of the Anglican tradition, has an article on the justification of man, and it's my favorite. I'd like to read it to you. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith, and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Friends, justification by God's grace through our faith or trust in Jesus Christ is for you. And it's full of comfort. So you may have a peaceful life. And it's for your strength. 
giving you a future that you can bear, allowing you to be cocky enough to be unafraid to die. So today, either be reassured by this message of justification or accept it for the first time. And accept it not just with your mind and intellect, but with your whole life and your heart. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we are comforted and strengthened by the message of our justification by grace through our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to be reassured by what you have done to save us from your own wrath, even while we were your own enemies. Lord, help us to accept this message. We pray these things for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.